Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. If I can get my microphones adjusted with having trouble getting into the studio and then doing a lot of things to keep things moving here. But anyway, we're off and uh, uh, it looks like everything's connected. So what we're, we're going to talk about today is uh, the letter to Philippians. We've been talking about uh, it for a couple of weeks now. And uh, Philippi is this Greek a city that became Roman after, and it was famous to the Romans partly because all the uh, soldiers had been there during Augustus's reign. Of course, that was like 50 years before when uh, Augustus came to power, and most of those soldiers who were in that great battle, or that was literally a revolutionary war in uh, Rome where they were trying to go back and restore the republic, that they had shifted away from some of the principles of the republic uh, for at least a 100 years. Back in the days of Polybius, he said that the people were becoming accustomed to living at the expense of others, their neighbor, and uh, had employed the, the rule of force to obtain benefits, what uh, the Bible calls unrighteous Mammon, what they also call the wages of unrighteousness, the rewards of unrighteousness, the iniquity of unrighteousness. They translate it different ways so you don't catch on, I guess. I don't know why they have to translate it so many different ways. But what was happening in Rome is they were moving from a republic of independent, capitalistic, you owned your property, you owned your labor, you owned your family, and you came together if foreigners tried to invade. You came together if you had a big work project that you wanted to accomplish. Anyway, well, hopefully we'll get all this studio figured out and and then we'll start doing uh, videos. But Rome moved from a republic to an indirect democracy and then to an imperial power. Too much power was vested in the Senate and then eventually vested in the Imperator, the Commander-in-Chief, the Principas Civitas, the Chief Executive Officer of Rome, and uh, also the Apotheos of Rome. He appointed all the federal judges or imperial judges throughout the empire. A lot of the local judges were picked locally, but he began to issue where he was putting people on the bench to determine imperial crimes. Well, you got different kinds of emperors over a period of time. Emperor office was, which was all three of those combined. They were actually separate offices. Some years, Augustus did not win the election to be the president of Rome. He still remained the commander-in-chief, but he was not the president of Rome. Somebody else was the president of Rome because he wasn't in Rome. And, of course, they didn't have cell phones and all that stuff. So, that was reasonable. It was probably a good friend of his. Because <laughs> he really held the power. If you held the army, you held the power. It was, at one time, absolutely illegal 
for the Roman army to to come to Rome and be used for law enforcement. It could not be used against Romans. Now, we have people in Virginia talking about using not only the the U.S. Army against, you know, and the National Guard against uh, individual citizens to disarm them with the, this stuff that's going on in the news. He's, they've actually mentioned in more than one place using foreign troops. Actually, invited, a state is actually talking about inviting in foreign troops to enforce illegal statutes passed in Virginia. <laughs> They hadn't been passed yet, but this is the kind of rhetoric. And, of course, there are some people who think they're patriots that are talking about armed revolution, which would be an absolute disaster, an absolute disaster. For the same reason, it was an absolute disaster in Rome when they had an armed revolution to try to overthrow Caligula, who was just a horrible, horrible uh President of Rome and, and Imperator. He really was hardly even the Imperator. They called him Little Boots uh, because, you know, he would have his little boots outside his tent because he wasn't a very big guy. And he wasn't, the, the soldiers didn't think too much of him. And he was just ter- terribly immoral and, and incompetent and everything else. But he was the Emperor. So what are you going to say? And that's what happens sometimes. You get somebody who's absolutely dishonest in this position of power, and they wreak havoc. And then somebody got the bright idea to have a revolution to overthrow Caligula, to kill him, and they killed him and a lot of other people. But eventually the Praetorian Guard prevailed, and they didn't want the emperor. They didn't want to go back to being a republic. They wanted to keep their job secure. <laughs> In the government, they were part of the vast bureaucracy that had grown up when the people were being slothful in the necessary exercise of responsibilities required to sustain a republic. And so the republic decayed away, just like Polybius said. You can go to our website at Preparing You, look up Polybius, and he you will see what he said was going to happen to Rome and Being a historian, he was also a prophet. Because if you know history, you know the future. Because we repeat the same stupid mistakes over and over again. Well, anyway, Augustus became the emperor at Philippi, uh, defeating the people who wanted to restore the republic. Because the people who wanted to restore the republic did not really understand the necessary requirements to run a free government. They had lost the skills. They had degenerated as a people and therefore could not win that battle. And Augustus prevailed. That's exactly what would happen if people tried to overthrow the government today. Big mistake. Before governments will change, men must change. And of course, Christ comes along born about 25 years after Caesar Augustus became the first Caesar Imperator and President of Rome and uh, appointer of judges, because those were all three of his offices. Exactly what the President of the United States does today. That same thing doesn't go on in every other country. Some countries have prime ministers and parliaments. They don't have, you know, we have a Senate and a congressman, uh, you know, the congressman, that, but both Senate and Congress are legislative branches of government. Then we have a judicial branch of government. But the president gets to appoint the judges 
that rule federal matters. He doesn't appoint the local state judges, but the federal judges he does. That's exactly what was going on in Rome at that time. And so that's what's going on today. And there's a lot of things that we have done wrong over the last 100, 200 years. And unless you start going back and finding out what we've done wrong as individuals, you're not going to be able to fix the problem with any violent revolution. So violent revolution is absolutely foolish and we're totally against a violent revolution, at least at this stage. I don't know. Years down the road, maybe it'll be different. I'm all for you having the right to bear arms. You should do that just because there's a bunch of street gangers out there <laughs> and people who rush into homes and rob people. And, and uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe there could be a foreign invasion or something like that and we would have to help out the military. The fourth branch of government, everybody talks about the three branches of government. In the Constitution, there were three branches of government. The, the legislative, the judicial, and the executive. And that's the president and his cabinet. That's the executive branch. But that's just within the Constitution. That's not the only branches of government. There's a fourth branch of government. And that's the people. And you say, well, why didn't they mention the people? Well, they do. In the Ninth Amendment, the Tenth Amendment, powers not granted to the federal government are retained by the states and the people. And so the people have some of the power of government. They, It's not granted to the government by the Constitution. Now, you might have granted some of that power to the government through contract, through making deals, you know, applying for benefits. You know, the greatest destroyers of liberty are the granters of of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. So maybe you've applied to a bunch of benefits and lost access to some of your rights. Maybe you've become a surety for debt because you asked to be taken care of by the government if you failed to do so. See, in a republic, the responsibility is with you. You have the right to choose what the Greeks called exousia. You had the liberty to choose. That's the way it is in a republic. But if you give the power to choose for you, to the government, then they have the power to choose. They can actually borrow money in your name and then you have to pay it back because you gave them that power. Now, whether you did or not, I would recommend you read the book Covenants of the Gods. <laughs> and that book will tell you. You could buy it from us, but guess what? We actually put it online, whole book, free online. And we actually put it on an HTML and PHP and, and uh, PDF formats it's all over the place you can read the whole book for free over 800 footnotes and it will tell you how you went into bondage how you became merchandise how you cursed your children with debt and how you made covenants with men who exercised authority to get those benefits and you yourself were entangled in the elements of the world and and the yoke of bondage just like peter predicted paul predicted and Christ predicted that you would do. And so anyway, we explain all that in lots of other recordings. But we're talking about this epistle to the Philippians. So what can we learn from the epistle to the Philippians? There's only four chapters, I think, in that. So we've done one and two. And so we ought to do number three. And so I'm on the page here at Preparing You. And I've got a lot of side notes. Now, one of the things, real quick 
brief rundown, go back in the first chapter, and you can go down to, what is it, verse 21? Let's see, where is the verse? i got to find it here. <laughs> I can't find it. I think it's in there. Let's see, 27. Verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. The conversation. Now, well, that's, uh, you know, like it's when we talk. We talk, we know, we don't, don't use cuss words and stuff like that. Is that what that means? No, that's not what that means. <laughs> that word there, conversation, means running the civil affairs of government. So you need to run the civil affairs of government? That becometh the gospel of Christ. You know, the gospel is called the gospel of the kingdom. And the word church is still defined today as one form of government. We don't think of it as a government because we think of a government as an institution that exercises authority one over the other. But that's not, all governments don't do that. Some governments are voluntary governments. Some people even call them anarchies. But that, that term has got a lot of bad press over the last 50 to 100 years. So what it means is there's nobody who can exercise authority one over the other. All the rights to choose are in your hands. Therefore, all the responsibility to choose is in your hand. And the responsibility of running the government is in your hand because you're the fourth branch of government. We have a little bit of judiciary in the, in, in the church, but it doesn't, it's not like, it's all a voluntary judiciary. You know, we'll help you arbitrate disputes and disagreements and stuff like that. We'll help you keep records and things like that. But we, we don't make laws. All the laws that we need are already made. You know, don't steal, don't murder, you know, don't do mean things, don't bear false witness. We got all those laws. We don't need 10,000 laws. But, but corrupt people do. Tacitus always said, you know, the more laws, the more corrupt the people. The more corrupt the people, the more laws you're gonna get. So, yeah, but we don't need that because the kingdom of God only works for moral people. It only works for kind, just people. It only looks works for people who are actually seeking the righteousness of God in their conversation, in the way in which they run civil affairs. But the civil affairs in the early church were run by the people. They didn't go to the courts of Rome. They didn't go to the welfare of Rome. They didn't go get the free bread of Rome. They had to conduct their government themselves. That's the only road to freedom. That's the only way to freedom. You want to get freedom by shooting at people? That's not what the American Revolution... You know, a lot of the battles in the American Revolution, nobody died in. They took Fort Ticonderoga. Nobody died there. They took a number of the forts along the western frontier, and nobody died in numerous of those forts that they took. They laid siege to them for days, firing at them and all this stuff. But they made sure they didn't kill anybody because it wasn't as violent a revolution. You know, most of the people died. Uh, well, there were battles against them where they died. But a lot of the battles or a lot of the deaths were the result of disease and, and hunger and exposure and stuff like that. Valley Forge, it was rough. You could go through all that but. We'll have to talk about that later. If you have questions, join the network. Ask those questions. We will address them on different broadcasts. And if you're really smart or you're really brave, one or the other, maybe a little of both, 
and you want to debate some of the things that I say, get a hold of us and we'll bring you on as guests and we'll do a special podcast just so you can debate whether or not what I'm telling you is true or not. If you think it's wrong, you come and tell us because we want to know if we're doing wrong, if we're saying wrong. But anyway, so Paul's telling the people in Philippi how to run a government of free people. That's what he's talking about. When they talk about liturgy back then, liturgy was how you ran the government. And they had, we talked this morning about one of the words here that you find in the text is actually the, the word for liberty. He talks about naturally care for your state. You know, and he actually has a word there that, that supposedly means state. <laughs> That's what, but, uh, but it actually has to do with this, you know, cause Christ set us free. If you joined the Christians in their network of faith, hope, and charity, you were, that was now your government. There is another king, one Jesus. And of course now some of you are going to say, well, Paul was a Roman citizen. No, he wasn't. I know they say that he was something there, and some people translate it as a Roman citizen, but we've already explained dozens of times. We have whole articles on the subject to show you he wasn't what you would think a Roman citizen. He wasn't going to be voting for the legislature of the local groups. He wasn't going to have his representatives picking the emperor. He wasn't that kind of Roman citizen. He was Romeos. Now their whole deal entirely. So anyway, uh, let's see. I think it was footnote number 15 that, oh, he says here, yay, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of our uh, of your faith, the service of your faith, there's that word liturgio, which means a public office which a citizen undertakes to administer at his own expense. And that, of course, was what Paul did. Paul said many times that he did these things at his own expense. And that word actually shows up a couple of times in, in this uh particular epistle but we can go down and read chapter 3 we better cook along here fast if we want to get through chapter 3 and it'll leave only chapter 4 I don't know if we'll do it all today but anyway in chapter 3 talking to them how to run a free government of the people for the people and by the people where their liberty is intact where the exousia the power to choose is in the hands of the people and that's what Paul is talking about in Romans 13. He's, he's, that the word there is exousia, that they translate power. They also translate it liberty. It means, right in the concordance, he'll tell you the right to choose. And he's saying, let every man remain subject to the higher liberty. Because all liberty is of God. There is no liberty but of God. And anyone who opposes liberty opposes God. That's actually what it says. That it's not the standard word for power. It's the standard word for right to choose. It's the strongest word in the Greek language, according to Aristotle, for the word liberty. And it was used by poets of the time to mean liberty or right to choose. And for other authors at the time. And we show all this in the book, The Higher Liberty, which you could buy from us. But guess what? It's free online too. My goodness, we give everything away for free. Isn't that amazing? But what we don't give away for free is freedom, because freedom is not free. Freedom requires that you take back your responsibility and change the way you think. So anyway, 
Chapter 3. Finally, my brethren. Because he's already said all the things. And some of the recordings are up. The others will be up in a week or so. If you join the network, you'll they'll let you know when they're up. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. It is safe. Wow, that's an odd word there. We could look that up too, but let's keep moving here. Beware of dogs, he says. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Concision? What does that mean? Well, let's get down. We'll, we'll take a look at that word. There's a footnote on the page that tells you what that word actually means. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, the flesh. What's the flesh? Again, these are, he's full of metaphors. He's, he's a Jewish person who knows Hebrew and re- Hebrew is, the whole language is full of metaphors. Almost every word has two meanings, both an abstract meaning and a very subjective, objective meaning, which it has to do with a thing. You know, like the word for reins of control is also means kidney. And the word for liver also means to honor. So, this, this is the language. So, he thinks in these metaphors. So, that's what he's talking about. So, anyway, we have the flesh... We aren't to live in the flesh. We are living the spirit. Now, that doesn't mean we don't walk around in the flesh. We live in the world. We eat. We help one another. But we don't live by wantonness. We don't force our neighbor to contribute to our welfare. We gather together in a community of people that if we actually do need help, they will be there for us. And we have the faith that they'll be there for us. And the way we know they'll be there for us is that we are there for them. We love one another. We care about one another. And, you know, some of, some, many of us may have guns. You know, I, I live out in the de- desert. I herd sheep on the desert. If coyotes come around I, and try to eat my sheep, I gotta shoot them. <laughs> I gotta protect the, from the, the coyotes. The, you know, I mean, I don't shoot them when they're up in the mountains hunting jackrabbits and mice. That's fine. But if they come down and decide to get a taste for mutton, I have to shoot them. You know, but I don't make war on coyotes. But anyway, so that word concision, he talks about it's concision to cut up, to mutilate, to spoil. Well, has anybody spoiled your republic? You tell me, has anybody spoiled your republic? Are you familiar with anybody spoiling your republic? Cutting it up, dividing it up, dividing up the power of the people and handing it out to others? You know, Paul's not for circumcision. He said, we want to be circumcision of the heart. The circumcision of the flesh was a symbol. He's talking about circumcision of the heart. And, and he talks about uh, for we are circumcision which worship God. What is, what is worshiping? Well, actually, there's a link on it. Actually, I'll, there's, uh, it tells you what the word means, but I'm gonna make that word worship on that page a link that will actually take you to a whole article on what worship is. 
And I talked about this morning, they were talking about these couple little look at Chinese girls and they were crying and singing songs. And people said, what a wonderful worship service. That's not worship. That's crying and singing songs. Worship is paying homage. You pay homage to the king, not because you bow down and kiss his ring, but because you do what the king says. So what did Christ say? Serve one another. And that particular word we see translated worship there, it actually means to serve for hire, to serve, to minister to, uh, etc. So that's, even if you were to serve God, how do you serve God? God don't need any help from you. You serve God by serving one another. Christ told you that. So that's the worship he's talking about. That uh, and that's what is necessary for a free state is that people have to care about one another. They have to check on one another. They have to be there for one another. It takes people of courage to do that. It t- takes unselfish people to do that. It-, it takes people who are more interested in law, judgment, mercy, and faith than their own personal comfort. They're willing to drop everything and come to your aid. You know, like Minutemen. You know, when when the communities were attacked, the Minutemen dropped everything they had and they ran to help other people. Americans learned to do that in order to survive. Uh, Indians already knew to, to do that and they helped one another often. And Americans saw the same thing and they helped one another. And a lot of Indians and uh, these Americans who came over got along real good. Some of them warred with each other because there's always selfish people around. There's always angry people around. But a lot of them did really well, and we, we can go into that. But let's go on to verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, of the Hebrews, as touching the law of the Pharisees, the law of Pharisee, that's what he was as a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is uh, in the law, blameless. He was doing all those things, but he realized that he was worshiping the metaphor instead of the spirit of the law. He was being unjust. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost to Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. So he's saying all the stuff he had learned and all these rituals of religion, you know, like we talked this morning, I guess the Lutheran church is dividing over the gay rights marriage thing and everything. Well, they've already divided themselves from Christ because they said to the people that it was okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. And everybody signed up for government benefits and gave more power to the government. And now their children are cursed with the debt that they have created by doing this. And they themselves are surety for debt. And we show, we show you the actual technical way this all came about. But we don't blame it on the government. I mean, 
you know, there are people in government who have done bad things, certainly, and there were guys who came up with really bad ideas. But the problem is, you, you've been slothful in the ways of the kingdom. Because your ministers have crept in and taught you false doctrines that Christ didn't say. And they haven't taught you the things that Christ did say. And so that's what we're doing. So if you haven't heard about us before, we have hundreds and hundreds of recordings and podcasts going out every week that you can listen to and find out what it was all about. And if you have questions, again, join the network. And then there will be people on the network that will show you where the... Re- it's a lot to look through. They'll show you where the recordings are and, and where the information is at so that you can go through and find out what they haven't been telling you in your churches or you didn't learn when you used to go to church. You may have left church already because you found them all a bunch of hypocrites. I understand that. And and I those I don't see those as real churches. Uh, I, I see them as people posing as a church, but of course Christ said there would be many people who said they're coming in his name and, the, and they're actually workers of iniquity. Now I don't know who they are and I don't want to you know, bad mouth all churches and everything. Because you can find good people in all these places. It's usually the workers. The people that are, you know, they, they read about Christ and they see something there in Christ and they want to follow Christ and they think, well, how do I find out about them? Well, I'll go to church and they'll teach me about them. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of churches out there that are a snare. They're not really telling you the truth. They're trying to get you all caught up in emotionalism. They're not really showing you the the power of the Spirit. They They create this artificial fake spirit with emotionalism and you know they they sucker people in there and they get some really good people who are trying to follow Christ to follow them we don't want you to follow us we'd like you to gather with us and, and help us as same as we will help you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and learn what we've been learning for the last half century and trying to teach other people. But that's up to you. But I can tell you this, if you want your rights back, you're not going to get them back unless you take back your responsibility. Paul realized this. And he, all the stuff he had been taught before as a lawyer for the Jews and he was a Pharisee and everything, he counts it as dung. It's garbage. And yet we have a lot of people genuinely see something's wrong with the modern church. And so they, they try different things, you know, like they try to become Messianic Jews. And they, they try to go back to the Old Testament and, and, and follow all those rituals and everything like that. And there's great messages in the Old Moses and Jesus were in agreement. The problem is when they go back to the Old Testament, they're reading it through the eyes of people who have been brainwashed by the people who deceived you in the New Testament. And we go through, we have another book, Thy Kingdom Comes, where you can go and read what they were really talking about in the Old Testament. We have a couple of chapters in the early part. We have those same articles up. And guess what? That book's free online too. (laughs) Thy Kingdom Comes. And you can go read Sacrifice of Sophistry. That's one of the names of Artifice and Language Land. They're telling you exactly what the Old Testament was really talking about. What were the altars? What was an altar of clay? What was an altar of stone? They were actually voluntary institutions of charity to help the people bind themselves together by love instead of by force, by 
by caring for one another and honoring that care with one another rather than by binding contracts. Nobody was, no Levites kicked in your door and confiscated your property because you didn't tithe. You didn't tithe, you didn't tithe. You should tithe because that's how you run the government. But the government isn't one that ruled over you, so they couldn't force the contributions of the people, and you just had to help one another out. They didn't start forcing contributions until they asked to have a king. You know, they elected a president, and then next thing you know, there was this new thing on the block called taxes in Israel. There had been no taxes, no real taxes in Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years. Then all of a sudden, Saul does this foolish thing. You can look up the article. It's under foolish. And it tells you what Saul did that caused his kingdom not to stand. And that's what's going to happen with the world today. The governments who depend upon force will end up falling on their own sword, just like Saul. But we're going to read about <laughs> what what Paul is talking about here in verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. And that law is not the Ten Commandments he's talking about. That's the, all the rules of the Pharisees. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's you love one another to voluntary government rather than through force. Which is what John the Baptist was saying. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press forward or toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He used to do it like the Pharisees. <coughs> he's, saying, he's saying now, no. I shouldn't be doing it like the Pharisees. I should be doing it like Christ said. The Pharisees had Corbin, a sacrifice that was compelled by Herod and the Pharisees. You signed up. You had to pay in. That was making the word of God to none effect because it wasn't a free will offering anymore. Christ went back to the free will offerings. And everybody who followed Jesus as king stayed in the system of free will offerings. Everybody who said they had no king but Caesar, they went under tribute. And that's just the way it goes. If you're under tribute today, it's because you haven't been walking in the ways of Paul. You, and a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, I don't want to do all this religious stuff. This is just practical knowledge. You can strip away what you think is religious stuff, but you should read our article on religion. <laughs> what religion? Just 200 years ago, religion was completely defined differently than the way you define it today. You will not find the religion definition of 200 years ago if you Google the word religion today unless you find our site at Preparing You or His Holy Church and you read the article on religion. 
find out what it means. But I'll just keep you in suspense on that. What we're going to do now is we're going to take a little break because I know they always want me to take little breaks at the half hour and we actually gone over a little bit. And then we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're looking at Philippians and finding out what Philippians was really all about, what the Bible was really all about. The Bible mentions government more than any other uh well, I shouldn't say more than it mentions righteousness more than anything else. And that word shows up as righteousness or justice. I mean, Christ condemned the Pharisees because they were not, and Jews in general, or many of the Jews in general. He didn't condemn all the Jews because all the apostles were Jews. <laughs> Jesus was a Jew. And so, I mean, we don't, I don't have anything against Jews. I have something against unrighteousness. So if you're, if you're doing unrighteousness, I don't care if you're a Lutheran or Jehovah Witness or Seventh-day Adventist or Jewish or Muslim. If you're doing unrighteousness, I'm going to write your name down and strike a line to it. Because <laughs> you're doing bad things. You're not on my side. But if you repent and you decide to do righteous things, okay, okay, let's, let's have some coffee together here sometime. I don't drink much coffee, but, <laughs> you know... Uh, uh, you know, whatever you want to drink, we'll, we'll, we'll sit down and have a drink and loaf of bread and what have you. But, cause it's about righteousness. And the Pharisees were not attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. The Bible's about doing that. It's about law. It, I mean, that's why you see the, Moses and the Ten Commandments on the Supreme Court, because there he wrote down probably the most concise uh, comprehensive statement of law is the Ten Commandments. Of course, now you probably don't understand keeping the Sabbath. You think it has to do with counting up days. Let's see, what day is it? Is it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? No. Sabbath is about debt. <laughs> and it's about staying out of debt. Because you work first, then you take your rest. That's it. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's not about counting days. If worship is about singing songs, then maybe you can count up seven days and sing all your songs on the seventh day. If it's about saying praises and repeating endless repeating of prayers, okay. But that's not what Jesus said. He, I mean, the Bible warns us about endless repetition. That isn't it. It's not about singing. Worship is about obeying. And obeying means you're not going to be coveting your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other. If you do that, you will degenerate. That's what Polybius says. You will degenerate into perfect savages. You can look up perfect savages uh, on uh, preparing you and you'll find an article about being a perfect savage. So anyway, verse 15. Let us, therefore, as many... As be perfect, not perfect savages like the rest of you who are taking a bite out of one another by taking away the rights of your neighbor and not letting him have the right to choose to help you or not. (laughs) But he's talking about being perfect in the ways of Christ. And he says, as be perfect, be thus minded, and if 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 in anything... Ye are otherwise minded, thinking a different way, not wanting to live by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. God shall reveal even this unto you. 
Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk. In other words, we've already learned this. Let us stay steadfast in this righteous way of taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, if need be. What happens is you, you end up with a lot of people who don't need much help. If you make help available where suddenly it is virtuous to be poor, and that's what's happened. I heard, uh, heard Ben Shapiro the other day. Uh, I don't know why I was listening to Ben Shapiro, but some reason other people send me all kinds of things and I, you know, ask me questions and so I have to look at them and, and, uh, but anyway, he was talking about, it escapes me, but he was talking about the hierarchy of this, these people who think, you know, okay, you, you, you know, you're black, you get so many points. If you're a black woman, you get even more points. If you're a black woman who's gay, you even get more intersectionality. You talk about intersectionality hierarchy. So you get higher and higher up in this intersectionality hierarchy. I can hardly even say it. This is just absurd. But the kingdom of God is just the reverse. You know, you, you, you don't, if you're lazy, selfish, arrogant, <laughs> <laughs> irresponsible drug addict, you don't have any hierarchy in the kingdom of God. If you're one that is repentant, wants to do the right thing by your family and yourself and your body and your flesh and all this stuff, hey, we're all willing to help you. But how do we know you're that way? Well, Christ showed us, you know, by what you do. And what one of the things they did is they gathered in groups of ten, hundreds, thousands and they formed a network to reach all across the Roman Empire if anybody really needed help they were there but they knew if they needed help or not because they had this network and those that had shared with those that did not have enough we show you that that's exactly how the early church was organized to do that now it was a government voluntary government well, what happens is all the people who really want, don't want to be a burden to their neighbor, they start gathering together. All the people who are self-starters, industrious, hardworking, they start gathering together. And they become a viable force. You know, that's why authors like uh, the guy who wrote uh, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, Edmund, said that Christianity... The church became a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire because a republic requires people of responsibility. These were all people who were responsible for themselves and were willing to help other people when they actually really needed help. But they only wanted to help them in a way that strengthened them. Because to do otherwise, which is what the world is doing, they want to help you till you're weak because they can control weak people. Well, that's why I say these guys talking about armed revolution. That's just nonsense. You're you're too weak. Oh yeah, you got a gun. You can shoot it. That's not gonna cut it. That is. You're just creating chaos. You gotta get together in small groups that actually care about one another. I had somebody. I wrote an article for News Reviews, and it's up there. I can't even remember which one it was, but uh, I think it was on the article two, section twenty-two, showing the that 70, 75% of the people who run for office in the state of Oregon are felons <laughs> and have no right to the office that they have obtained, including the governor. And we can show this in five minutes. We have an article up. You go preparing you and look at it. 
But the reason nobody does anything about it is all the other people running for office have violated the Oregon Constitution and are felons and must forfeit their office. But they so don't want to bring that up. So we're just pointing out they're bearing false witness. And this is what's, this is scary. I mean, the, the zombie apocalypse is upon you. These people are just turn their backs on honor and truth. And unless the people wake up and hold them to account, oh, all mayhem will break loose. But I don't want to see people fighting in the streets. I want to see people standing up and changing to the ways of righteousness. Start bearing true witness. Start admitting, yo, yeah, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have taken that money. I, I, I can't run for office for two terms now. I will step down, and everybody else needs to step down because that's the law. If we don't get people like that in Oregon, Oregon's in a lot of trouble. The problem is, you find this in every state. They don't all have that particular Article 2, Section 22, but you'll find it everywhere. But amongst Christians, they're going to stand up and speak the truth. They're going to bear true witness. And that's what's the problem is so many of our ministers... They've read the Bible. They know Christ said you, you're not to covet. Paul said, if you covet, you have no inheritance in the kingdom and we're not to have anything to do with you. If you desire benefits, the wages of unrighteousness at the expense of your neighbor from men who exercise authority, you're not a Christian. I don't care what emotional experience you had in April 15, 1922. You're not a Christian. You know, people are always telling you that's when I was saved. I'm not so. That's a strong delusion, but it's not so. So anyway, verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Many people say they're Christians, but they're actually the enemies of the cross of Christ. I'm going to put a live link there on the cross of Christ so you can understand what that's all about. People, they use that. People used to come complain and say, well, I don't see you ever mention the cross of Christ. I had a whole article up on it. Mention the cross of Christ all the time in, in books. But I actually tell you what it means. <laughs> It doesn't mean what they say. Those guys who delivered the whole nation into bondage of Egypt, it's actually worse today than the bondage of Egypt. Bondage of Egypt, income tax was never more than 20% of your labor. A lot more than that now. And if you count all the other taxes, I mean, they're just sucking you dry. But you owe the tax. I'm not saying you don't owe the tax. I'm, I'm telling you how you got to that point. So you can change. If you change, there's hope. If you decide not to change and think that you're going to fix it, lots of luck with that. So anyway, whose end is destruction? All these guys who don't really understand what the gospel is all about. The gospel is about righteousness in government. Not self-righteous arrogance. Whose God is their belly. You know, because they want to fill their bellies with the benefits of the world. And whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things for our conversation. There's that word conversation again. 
is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior. Augustus Caesar was called the Savior of Rome. That's what Augustus means, Savior of Rome. But Christ was a different kind of Savior. He was going to restore the Republic by telling you, you have to take back your responsibilities of your conversation, of your, you know, what you're saying to one another. The Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies, that it may be fashioned like unto the glorious body, according to the workings whereby he is able even to subdue all things under himself. Now, that's getting into the metaphysical, the quantum realm of an awakening. And that's a different that's a different thing than most people will, you know, we have articles up on that too. We have recordings on that so that you understand that when you start taking back your responsibility, uh, responsibility, admitting that you're the problem, it's not, you know, that's what the, I mentioned Reagan's speech this morning, I think even, that where he said, uh, or at least in a conversation with somebody, that he said that uh, government's not the solution, it's the problem. Well, actually, the problem is you being the fourth branch of government are slothful in your responsibilities. So, yeah, government's the problem because you're the problem. Your sloth is the problem. You're not gathering together to care for one another and to guarantee righteousness. Everybody that was telling you about the guy when I wrote that article for News of Views, he wrote up and he admitted Oh, well, he didn't understand some of the things because he, he, he had swallowed hook, line, and sinker. The false narrative in relationship to Article 2, Section 22. A lot of people have not I'm always overcoming that. The article we wrote explains that that false narrative is false. All you have to do is read the footnotes so you can find out where I'm getting this and you can actually read the ruling. That it's still in place. It hasn't been ruled over uh, as unconstitutional in any way, shape, or form. But he said, well, okay. He finally conceded. He says, but as long as I have my right to bear arm, that's all I care about. Well, then you're doomed. If that's it, you don't care about your neighbor's rights, your neighbor's children's, that, you know, whether they're going to get forced vaccinated, whether they're going to have their life, liberty, and, and pursuit of happiness taken away by overregulation. You don't care about that. You just want to make sure you have your right to bear arms. You're a loser. You, you will lose. You will head for condemnation. But again, that word there, uh, polituma, it, it, it's slightly different than the one we mentioned before in conversation. The administration of civil affairs. That's what it means. The, the, the Constitution of the Commonwealth. Well, your rights didn't come from the Constitution. The Constitution was written to give rights to government. Your rights came from God. And the Bible's telling you about them. Paul's telling you about them. That's what he's saying in Romans 13. We have a whole book on that. Romans 13. It's really simple to explain. It is so drastically different than what you've been probably taught i don't know what you individually have been taught and you can order that from us too but we got it free online you can read it online you can print it out 
online. We have it in, again, several different forms in PDF. We're easy to print out, but we also have it in uh, HTML so that you can click on links if you have problems with certain words and we can show you greater explanation. It has live audios that you can play right there that, that explains these things. But if you don't want to take time to look at some of these things, that's okay. But don't expect to be free because freedom's not for the lazy. It's not for the apathetic. It's not for the pathetic. <laughs> it's for those who seek the kingdom of God to be ruled under God, not under man. And the righteousness of God. Which means you have to care about the rights of your neighbor. All the rights of your neighbor. As much as you care about your own. So, th- this is this is just basic so that you understand what this what they're talking about. So, for our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies, our vile nature. This is what happens when you start taking back your responsibility. You start seeing things you didn't see before. I have watched this for decades now with people who, you know, they, some people have listened to me for years and years. And then they finally started to participate and they started waking up. Now, some of those people have backslid and are not participating as much as they were before. They don't realize that things which they have been awakened to, they will forget. I have seen this. Uh, they will, it will slip out of their mind and they will lose it because it's a gift from God to really understand what's going on. And you have to apply it. You have to, as he said earlier, will and do. You have to be willing to not just say, Lord, Lord, but actually do it the will of the Father. If you don't apply it in doing, you're not going to get it. You're not going to understand it. You're not going to be a part of it. You're, you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to head towards condemnation. Cause you're either going forward or you're slipping back. You don't even realize it that you're slipping back, but you'll be slipping back. So anyway, we won't get into chapter 4 because we only have a couple of minutes left of the show. But chapter 4 kind of sums things up and touches a little bit on that metaphysical stuff that we're talking about, that quantum stuff. And again, like I said, we have articles up on, you know, quantum and and string theory and all these, you know, we talk about these different things in relationship to what Christ was talking about. Because there... You know, they are really connected. And when it says our conversation is in heaven, they talk in the Bible about kingdom of heaven. They talk about the kingdom of God. What's the difference between the two? Is there any? No, it's just a matter of language. Uh, what word did he use there for heaven that we translate heaven? And and he's talking to a lot of Romans in Philippi. The word there that he would use would be Oranos. What does the Oranos mean? It means from the vaulted sky above to the center of the earth. When you owned your own land in Rome, you owned it from the sky above to the center of the earth. That's, and the kingdom of heaven means that it's the wholeness of, that's what, again, Paul was Romeos. It didn't mean he was a citizen of the Roman Empire like you're a citizen of the United States. It meant you were Free from things public. And, and, but anyway, we have an article. You can look that up. You go to Preparing You, the search engine on every page. You go there 
And there's an article that will tell you, was Paul a Roman citizen? There's an outline page, has all kind of articles, and you can do searches on there. But anyway, we make all that available for you, for free. But like I say, freedom's not free. You have to work at it. And if you want to gather with us, there's network links there, and you can join those network links, and you can find out what we're really all about here. So until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.